Welcome, everybody, to the third podcast in this series of um, sort of podcast interviews with research that's been done by MA students and PhD students in the geography department in Maynooth. Today, we have Robert Kyo, who is going to be talking to us about um, probably a, a lesser known aspect of um, foreign direct investment and the, the presence of foreign direct investment in Ireland, which is around the kind of infrastructural and environmental footprint of foreign direct investment and their activities. Um, so Rob is doing the MA in spatial justice and um, great to have you, Rob. Um, maybe you could uh, start by saying a little bit about your yourself and your, your background and, and maybe how you came to looking at this particular topic. Thanks for the introduction, Patrick. Um, yeah, so as as you said, I'm, I'm on the, the Masters in, in Spatial Justice and I suppose I, I, I came to the to this Masters after a few years after finishing a degree in economics and politics. And yeah, in the in the few years since finishing that degree, I've become more and more interested in the kind of relationships between economic activities and economic systems and the environment. And also I've become kind of I've been digging into debates around alternative economies and and degrowth. And it it, it was kind of <clears throat> with those interests in mind that I came to the masters and I and I came to, to to the discussions we were having in this class and I suppose yeah how I arrived to this to this research topic which is I suppose to examine the role of the state in creating the necessary material and ecological conditions for foreign direct investment in Ireland, um, I was there was there was a, a few a few discussions we were having in class and a few kind of papers we were reading, um, and scholars like Sheree Deckard and and yourself, Patrick and Patrick Brody, uh, who whose work is kind of asking questions about what is the material footprint of of foreign direct investment in Ireland. Um, I sort of became convinced that this is a, a question worth worth exploring you know like one of the one of the statistics that, that that I found really convincing is this this one about data centers and by 2027 data centers might uh, you know account for a third of Ireland's electricity uh, capacity and, and you know for me that kind of opened my eyes to where wow, this is this is an incredible like material footprint of of a specific form of FDI in Ireland. So, yeah, that that I suppose that that's kind of a a, a broad overview of how I arrived to this this general topic. And so, is the idea then that thinking about what's happening today and it it is getting more attention, I guess, the kind of footprint of the data centres, the energy and the emissions. Was it to maybe look a little bit at the history then of FDI and the ways in which maybe data centers and the tech sector, which, as you say, is a, a specific form of uh, of FDI, you know, has a longer genealogy or something. And I, and I was wondering maybe that that's a good place to 
say something about the um, the the history of FDI or what FDI is. I mean, foreign direct investment, it's something that we hear a lot about in the news and the media and so on. But maybe you could just give a little bit of a, a background or a context to that. Cool. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I guess in direct response to that, yeah, the, the idea is to look at, at the history of, of FDI in Ireland and, and, and to ask the question, like, to what extent was 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 FDI in its kind of various phases enabled by the existence of certain material conditions or or resources and infrastructures? And I suppose at, at the outset, I should say that like I didn't have the time and resources to kind of, you know, pull together like a comprehensive history of that. But the, the thing I was interested in doing is identifying particular um, kind of moments of FDI in Ireland where where you can kind of see how how certain material resources um, played like a critical role in 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 enabling the investment. So yeah, that, that's 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 the general idea. And um, yeah, just to give a, a brief overview of what I'm talking about. So when we talk about foreign direct investment, um, in this case, it's really inward foreign direct investment. So um, that's any investment by a foreign multinational corporation or, or an individual in the Irish economy. And that could come in the form of, you know, a, a pharmaceutical plant or in the form of a data center or in the form of uh, Airbnb headquarters in the Docklands. Um, so, so that's kind of what we're talking about. And I suppose, yeah, to give a very brief history of FDI in Ireland, like Ireland is one of the most globalized economies in the world. And I mean, it wasn't always that case. So in what we had about around the mid 1950s was a transition in, in state economic policy um, that turned outwards uh, that basically after after decades of a kind of failed industrialization strategy the state realized that and I suppose uh, its strategic economic policy was best to turn outwards and try to attract foreign direct investment to Ireland. Um, this was, I suppose, in, in the context of increasing st uh, American investment into Europe uh, with with the kind of with the coming of uh, martial aid, and also what you kind of you had in Ireland at the time was an awareness amongst the political class that FDI from America uh, would would be, I, I guess, seen better, particularly amongst Fianna Fáil, as FDI from, from, from Britain. So there was this kind of turn um, towards, towards this outward-oriented strategy. Uh, and in 1949, you had the establishment of the IDA, the Industrial Development Authority. And over the 1950s, the IDA started um, 
I suppose, reaching out to multinational corporations from the US, from Europe uh, and from Britain to to lure them to, to Ireland. Um, and in the 1950s, there was also serious policy changes in Ireland. So uh, there was the introduction of export sales relief, which was kind of the first iteration of what would become Ireland's low corporation tax, which became like the probably the centerpiece of, of Ireland's po policy to, to attract FDI. And you also had the introduction <clears throat> of quite generous grants uh, for multinational corporations who 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 are who are uh, willing to come to Ireland, um, and then I suppose yeah, in the 1950s there wasn't much FDI. In the 1960s, then actually the IDA were quite quite um, <clears throat> successful in attracting FDI to Ireland. In the 1970s, with the in 1973 with Ireland's uh, joining of the European Economic Community, FDI really took off. Uh, and I'm going to talk a little bit about the kind of pharmaceutical element of that. Um, and in the 1990s, again, you have, you have another serious wave of FDI into Ireland um, in the form of computer components and electronics manufacturing. Um, and <clears throat> it's really there with the Celtic Tiger that Ireland's FDI strategy, I suppose, really kind of came into its own. You know, Ireland's now considered... Uh, you know, a, a core advanced economy, but we might talk a little bit about how the, 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 the how the kind, kind of critical perspectives might challenge that. Um, but that's, I suppose, a very brief overview of, 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 of what I'm talking about. That's super. That's That was a really, um, really clear and useful um, overview of that history. And I guess if, if you're going to talk or you're going to focus on the sort of 70s, is that right, as the period for, with the, when the pharmaceutical companies start coming? I was wondering if, because I think it's useful for people to think about, you know, what was happening, at, you know, not just in Ireland with its with the IDA and its efforts to lure these companies, but maybe what was happening if, if these pharma companies, a lot of them were from, they were from the US, as you were saying, maybe also Europe, but... Um, if, if, if you could say something before you go into talking about specifics, maybe about particular companies and so on, maybe why or what was happening in the 70s that these companies were relocating their activities out of their core um, uh, jurisdictions, I guess. No worries. So, um, yeah, what, what I'm going to talk about is, is, I suppose, the case of Pfizer. Uh, and I mean... I, th I think it is important to to make kind of distinctions between um, certain investments and what types of activities they were they were engaged in. So, like Pfizer, when they announced the uh, an investment in Cork in 1969, um, they were they were um, initially uh, producing citric acid and food chemicals, and the vast majority of that was for export uh, to the UK, and in the, in the 1950s, Pfizer had been like engaging in quite a serious international expansion, um, and the I, I think you, you you might see um, the the Irish investment as part of that, um, but 
quite quite soon after Pfizer had actually expanded into like bulk pharmaceutical production in 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 Cork uh, in 1972, and I suppose while my research didn't necessarily um, go into this in, a, in in any great detail, um, there into you know I suppose the the kind of causal factors why phar- pharmaceutical corporations were expanding around the world at that time I I think this there's, there's probably a few arguments uh, that have been made in the literature uh, the, the first is actually that in the kind of in the post World War II period you know there was with the expansion of national healthcare systems uh, and the expansion of the European market that a lot of these pharmaceutical corporations were kind of engaged in this international expansion. Um, and the, with with certain organizational changes within corporations as well, that it, it, it allowed for um, this kind of globalization of production. But also the, the, the argument has been has been made uh, and this this kind of fits into a debate within like ecological economics around pollution havens and and how environmental regulations in 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 one in in the kind of um, source country of production can lead to um, increased foreign investments where uh, corporations attempt to kind of cut costs and and escape from the the regulatory burdens um, and I think you 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 could make the argument that um the the global expansion of the pharmaceutical industry may be an example of this um where in the early 1970s in the US you have the clean air and clean water acts and 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 this this might indeed have had like a, a causal um role in in the offshoring of production um now I, in the case of Pfizer, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure because again, it, we're like 1969 and it's the production of citric acid, but it's it's certainly a, 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 a question that, that, that you could pose. Great, thanks. Um, and maybe maybe you could go into your, go into, into talking about Pfizer now um, and the, the kinds of, um, as you say, the kinds of investments and infrastructures and material conditions that were were set up to facilitate its 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 locating in was it was Cork, I think, was it? Yeah. Yeah, it was Ring of Skiddy in Cork. So, yeah, like I guess the first thing I'll actually say is there's a very extensive literature within the kind of field of economics and economic history, um, and there's kind of a, a broad consensus in there that. The reasons for Ireland's success in attracting FDI from the 1950s onwards um, were policy changes like the introduction of the low corporation tax. Like the previous uh, director of the IDA, Pora Quite, called this the essential foundation of Ireland's foreign investment boom. Um, the introduction of very generous uh, capital grants and, and other grants for corporations. Um, as I said, access to the EU market from uh, 73, Ireland's English speaking uh, workforce, all of these things are, there's kind of broad agreement within the economic literature that that, that these are kind of key factors in Ireland's uh, success in attracting um, multinational corporations here. But the literature doesn't, 
dwell on this environmental dimension and and that's basically what I what I wanted to look at in the case of Pfizer and a few other a few other developments um I suppose yeah I already kind of touched on the the the, the broad history of where Pfizer located so it was in Ringeskiddy in Cork and all of those factors that I mentioned before the low corporate tax the the capital grants they were all important in Pfizer locating in Ringeskiddy uh, and th these were kind of cited in the media at the time so I was looking through newspaper archives for this research and <clears throat> like an example of that is Pfizer got the largest grant from the IDA that the IDA had ever given out uh, to, to date. Um, so th that was certainly important. But the, like, there's the spatial aspect of it as well is quite interesting. So like the the reason why Pfizer located at Ringeskiddy was because it was close to the port um, where they could import raw materials and export their finished product. Um, it was all, there, it, there was also, the kind of the kind of scale of the, the site at Ringeskiddy would allow Pfizer to expand over time. <clears throat> but interestingly, what I found in in the research was that water played a key role in the in the kind of expansion of Pfizer's production in in Ringeskiddy. And I suppose yeah, this wasn't widely re reported anywhere, but I found this through 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 digging through the archives and yeah to, to I'll, I'll give a kind of there's kind of a three-stage history with with water so um when Pfizer initially opened the the plant in 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 1971 or so at, at Ringeskiddy um there there wasn't sufficient water supplies or capacity there already and Cork County Council were um, they had been planning a residential water scheme, uh, the Lee Bali scheme. And when Pfizer announced their intention to open the, the factory there, Cork County Council expanded that scheme that, that was kind of in the planning phase. And they delivered um, water, but the water that Pfizer had projected they, they would need. So Pfizer had projected they'd need half a, half a million gallons of water per day when they opened expanding to two million gallons of water per day um, by the mid-1980s. But actually, once they had got up and running, they they realized that um, they needed more water. So again, so they were in this, um, the council was kind of in this bind where Pfizer were saying we need more water, but the council, they didn't have the water supply. Um, so there's a kind of contradiction there where in order to expand more, the, the the um, Pfizer needed uh, the, the the resources or state resources to build the the water infrastructure. So, abandoned scheme was was put in place that that would put uh, that would take three million gallons of water per day from the Bandon River, which is 16 miles away, and they would pipe most of that to Pfizer, and. This scheme actually went ahead in 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 the mid 1970s, um, but interestingly, it actually led to some protests. That a, 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 a local group called the Bandon River Defence Association was set up, and they were basically arguing that this water extraction from the river would endanger the livelihood of salmon fishermen, and also 
it would actually um, it would threaten that region's chances of future industrialization if if there was already this major water extraction that was rerouting water to Pfizer um how would the Bandon Valley ever industrialize this was that was the logic at the time um and this solved Pfizer's um capacity problems and they were able to expand production further um and actually the third stage of this uh the state uh, Cork County Council and the IDA spent £25 million in the late 1970s to pipe 30 million gallons of water per day um, on the Inishkara water scheme, um, which is part of the whole Cork Harbour redevelopment, um, which the idea here was, wasn't, was not necessarily to meet Pfizer's needs, but it was to meet the future industrial needs of this area, because this was a major IDA land bank. There was a thousand acres and um, that the IDA had, had bought and developed here with the, with the hope that in the future, this would become a major industrial region. It's interesting, I think, to, to, to just think about how none of this would have been possible without quite significant state intervention in providing these infrastructures um, and in finding the water and then rerouting it to, to um, to ring a skiddy. Um, there was there's also quite an interesting thing with Pfizer. Um, they also hit capacity issues in terms of, so you have water as an input, but that water as an output, and they needed to discharge their wastewater. Um, and they were doing this initially into Cork Harbour as untreated wastewater. Um, but as they expanded, um, there was serious local objections to them inc increasing their discharge of wastewater into Cork Harbour, which, which was untreated. Um, so from set 1975 to 1990, Pfizer had the largest sea dumping operation in Ireland and Britain, um, where they dumped at sea uh, this untreated industrial wastewater over uh, like 50 square miles. And um, interestingly... Can I just ask you there about that? So the do, do, could you find out anything about the wastewater, like the concerns, maybe the local objections? Was it just based on the fact that, like me, I mean, the idea of untraded wastewater from Pfizer doesn't sound very nice? Or is there actual, you know, maybe further along the lines, was there kind of monitoring done? Like what was in it? What was the what were the were there toxic? Was it, it toxic? It was considered like non-toxic but the, the 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 concerns were that um there was so much of it that that the the waters around cork harbor wouldn't be able to assimilate it um like initially the wastewater um coming from the factory was kind of the equivalent of the entire city of cork but as pfizer were expanding um their wastewater became the kind of equivalent um, in terms of the sea's capacity to assimilate it as a city of two million people. Um, and that's why they, they needed to you know, dump this at sea. But, but all the time, Pfizer were arguing that they couldn't treat this wastewater. If they, if they had to treat it, if the council forced them to, to treat it, they would not be able to expand production here and they might even up and leave. Um, but quite fascinating, in 1990, they stopped the sea dumping operation and they built a treat 
a, a wastewater treatment plant and they actually claimed then that they were saving two million pounds a year by by building the tre- the wastewater treatment plant so there's a quite an, a, a, another quite fascinating uh story there i think um and just so, was that was that wastewater treatment plant was that just a, a private for their own activity or was that something yeah it, there, there was no element of it being a public private thing or serving cork city more generally no i well my understanding of the that wastewater treatment plant was actually pfizer built it for themselves um so yeah that was a very much a private a private kind of venture go on with your, yeah, your, the story it's fascinating <laughs> yeah uh I suppose that's that's kind of the story with with Pfizer, Patrick. Like there's, I I do have other case studies, but I suppose I'm yeah wondering about how we're doing for time. Yeah, we're we're kind of coming close. But I mean, if there was anything else you wanted to say, I mean, I don't know that that you know that if you wanted to link it briefly to other case studies, just to make a broader point about what was happening, like it wasn't just Pfizer. <clears throat> um, and I think that the the focus on water is. Is absolutely appropriate and maybe you could I don't know think about how that that continues to have significance today um, yeah basically I, all, I had a few other case studies um, but the one that I think maybe uh, makes the point most clearly uh, is the case in the Shannon estuary of Ahanish Illumina and when they built the largest bauxite refinery in Europe um, Limerick County Council <clears throat> delivered a, another significant water scheme to meet their needs uh, of initially around two and a half million gallons of water per day. Um, and the company did meet like over half of the capital costs for this, um, but with the county council providing providing the rest. But it was interesting. What, what I found there was um, the, the manager of Limerick County Council at the time made the argument that the state should think about water um, in 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 the way that the state should be building up like what what he called water banks, um, which would act as a as a draw for foreign corporations to locate in specific places. So it's like this is the same logic of the IDA and the land banks. The IDA take uh, they build up strategic land banks and they service them so that whenever a, a certain corporation is interested, they can quite instantaneously um, make an investment. So I think this is interesting because when we talk about why this is all significant, I think you can make the argument that there's a certain logic uh, that exists still um, in uh, among certain actors and institutions that views water in this kind of instrumental way as 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 a very um valuable resource for um attracting foreign direct investment to ireland and i'll just talk very briefly about a few things i found here so in 2012 the department of environments community and local government published a paper on water reform where they made the argument that ireland has relatively abundant water supplies in terms of the amount of uh kind of natural water resources that exist here and that Ireland has a real competitive advantage here that should be exploited in the future uh, to, ma- to to drive economic growth and 
the IDA and Enterprise Ireland and FERFOS, the kind of enterprise agencies at the same time made the case that um, as climate change intensifies and water scarcity intensifies around the world, Ireland's competitive advantage in its water resources will become more and more valuable. And the state should be exploiting this to attract more FDI to Ireland. And this I find quite fascinating because um, first of all, it's really to do with the Shannon pipeline. And I was looking into this um, and the, in the Shannon pipeline demand projections for the future of the East and the Dublin region. Sorry, um, just just quickly, the Shannon pipeline is this is is this proposed plan that Irish Water have, but I think it has a longer history going back before Irish Water, which is to to basically meet the the demand of the Greater Dublin region. I think it, it I I mean it's still going through the the kind of planning process, but it is being mooted to be built in the next few years. So, yeah. Yeah, that's that's it, Patrick. And um, but basically, in the demand projections for for the, that kind of justify the pipeline. Um, there's kind of two components, there's domestic and then non-domestic demand. And the, the non-domestic demand projections are very interesting because there's a, in the modeling, there's something called a strategic allowance. And it's, it, it appears to, to, to be um, an allowance for water demand that, that, that doesn't, that's not necessarily needed now, but it might be needed in the future. I'd make the, the argument that uh, there's, this could well be linked to how Ireland thinks about FDI and attracting FDI in the future, that we, the state might need uh, a strategic allowance in the Dublin region so that if water intensive industries might choose to locate in Dublin in the future that the water the water supply will exist um, to, to meet those needs. And I think that thinking about the links between water and FDI and how, how historically in certain cases these were quite um, quite significant that it's 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 kind of it, it's it's a, an interesting way of thinking about how how certain kind of logics might influence how how the state thinks about infrastructure um and that is that's kind of one one question i'd have um about 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 that shannon pipeline so effectively um how much of that projected demand is um associated with some unknown quantity of fdi or some future estimate of of what fdi might uh might 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 exist in that region. Um, this, another thing I would say about why this is all significant is more from a spatial justice perspective. Thinking about the history of infrastructure development in Ireland and kind of following here a, a paper that was published in 1985 by uh, John Pratchke, who calls uh, economic philosophy and ideology in Ireland. He makes the case that in Ireland uh, there's been a certain way of thinking about economics and the role of the state that has prioritised state investment in what he calls like productive investment. So 
infrastructures that will kind of directly meet the needs of industry and drive economic growth. Whereas state involvement and state intervention in providing what he calls social infrastructures or social investments has been kind of devalued. And I think it's interesting to think about this here where we see in certain cases the state is almost in a way forced like by nature that if FDI is highly mobile, if the state wants to attract and to to keep uh, FDI in Ireland or in certain regions, they need to provide the infrastructures to allow for their expansion. And they can do this quite effectively, we, we, we can see in certain cases. And also in certain cases, they might not do this effectively. There's kind of contradictions there. But the, at the same time, we have kind of chronic underinvestment in, in, in water infrastructures. And, and I suppose an example of this is the 2002 European Court of Justice ruling against Ireland um, on the basis that the state fails to protect drinking water supplies. And, and, and this was mostly around group water schemes, but um, it's, it speaks to a broader point, I think, about, about the, these kind of social infrastructures. And I think it raises, it raises like an interesting question about how, how is the role of the state conceived in Ireland, you know, around this question of, is the state just there to meet these productive investments and productive needs of industry or, 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 or should it be there to, to, to provide these social infrastructures? And this, I think, is, is quite important whenever we're thinking about like a Green New Deal. Um, and I think finally, actually, just to say on the significance of all this, it's, I think, quite important to think about FDI in terms of its material footprint, because we, I don't think we often do that. Uh, you know, something like green growth or the immaterial economy might be how we think about FDI in Ireland, um, while we, we, we might think of something like farming as a much more resource intensive economic sector. But um, I mean, when you, I suppose f reflecting on this in, in a little more depth, you, you kind of see that actually a lot of FDI is, is very resource intensive. And I think that like into the future spe specifically, that, that raises quite significant questions. Thanks, Rob. That it's a really um, you really kind of brought the things together there. Um, all I'd say to add to that is that it, it links quite nicely with Crohor's um, uh, podcast or interview around uh, wind energy and the the kinds of supply chains of tech. And I know you mentioned data centers at the beginning, but you know you think about the land banks, the water banks, and you know maybe something like wind banks. Um, and I, only last week there was a Irish Times reported. I think it was somebody in KPMG was saying that Ireland was missing out on foreign direct investment because of its um, not hitting its targets around renewable energy. And, you know, it, it, going to your, your really central point about social infrastructures or infrastructures for, for corporations and for, for profit, you know, the motivations are, that are driving Ireland's decarbonisation and move towards renewable energy, is it because of climate change? Is it because of the public good? Is it because of, you know, having what could be, you know, more equitable access, you know, energy security, all that sort of stuff? Or is it the needs of, of, say, data centers, tech companies and their ambitions to go zero 
emissions. So I think it's it's absolutely central that question, and you've done a really good job of of showing the kind of history of that in the you know with with FDI around pharma and water and how that comes up to the present, but how it obviously relates to all sorts of other issues. So thanks a million, really appreciate it, and uh, that's that's great work. Um, and I hope you you pursue it in whatever way you can in the future. Thanks, Patrick. Great to chat to you.